This is Restless. Well, kind of. Actually, this is just Matt sitting here on a Tuesday night, getting ready to upload something that isn't quite Restless, but I think you'll really like. We have a friend and patron who runs a podcast called Semper Doctrina. Um, I had a great time. It's been a while now. I was on the show. Uh, they do a segment that I just want to steal called TikTok Theologians, where they react to people talking about theology and Christianity on TikTok. That night, with me on, they decided to cover someone from New Calvinism fame. They decided to cover recent comments circulated on TikTok by none other than Francis Chan, the master's seminary grad, famous, emotional Calvinist guy, uh, now something else, and probably something different from even when we recorded this. But I think you'll enjoy the conversation. I had a great time recording it, and I don't think they got in too much trouble for airing it. But I hope you enjoy it. And stick around, we'll have more Restless coming back at you next week. This is the Semper Doctrina Podcast. A place to discuss theology with the hope of leading us to doxology. What's up, you guys? I hope you are having a good day today. I am joined by always by Noah. Hey, Noah, how are you doing today? I'm good, brother. I have my drink with me. Uh, it is a Wednesday night, so it is not our normal night to record. Uh, but I'm good, and I'm excited for what we've got going on tonight. All right. Well, we're not going to linger on in just uh, an unnecessary intro, because we've got someone special with us. Uh, we've got another podcast host, uh, not of this podcast, but of another even greater podcast, if I may say say it that way. Um, but we've got Matt from the Restless Podcast. How are you doing tonight, Matt? I am doing well. Noah, what is a Wednesday night drink for you, sir? Uh, tonight it is a amaretto Italian liqueur. So wow. uh, it's it's pretty good. It's kind of my drink of choice. It's a little sweet, but a little strong. So it's pretty tasty. That is that is way fancier and way more interesting than what i thought that the answer to that question gonna be that's awesome, man it's not, um, not right. i promise not, it's not that fancy not not the restless white claw right that's right yeah. the claw is the law when we react so i will <laughs> have that uh i will have that for us but yeah my name is matt klein i am uh i live in eau claire wisconsin which is French for clear water. So we still have a little bit of a, a language barrier happening. Um, I am one of the hosts of the Restless podcast. I don't know if it's a greater podcast, but it is the podcast I get to host with uh, a PCA minister named Michael. We grew up around each other, though neither of us grew up reformed. We kind of came to learn about Calvinism, reformed theology from a movement called the young, restless, and reformed. Um, that term doesn't get used much anymore, but I don't know the kind of people your listeners know, but if they know people called reformed, chances are they came out or were really built their notoriety through that. So we're talking all the names from John Piper to Mark Driscoll to Kevin DeYoung to Tim Keller. Um, 
the Gospel Coalition, Acts 29, right? All of these things really came up uh, from that. And that is where I learned Reformed theology. And after uh, a long time and lots of Mark Driscoll sermons, I eventually became a confessional Reformed Presbyterian, and I am now an ordained church planter in the PCA. And so if any of your listeners are looking for a church in Northwest Wisconsin, they can give us a call or they can listen to the Restless Podcast, which is, I think, why I get to be here with you guys tonight. Yes. Well, uh, I'm not sure if our listeners actually know this, but when I started making the move towards Presbyterianism, Mm -hmm. I listened to the Restless Podcast and uh, and that that was a huge influence for me going from an e-free church to slowly to the Presbyterian tradition. So I am very thankful for the podcast. Um, you know, Restless has some similarities to to our goal here at Simper Doctrina, um, but you guys probably have a few more laughs than us. So if, if you enjoy laughter and joy um, and some hot takes, definitely go check out Restless. Um, in light of that spirit, we are going to winsomely look at some TikTok theologians. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) to your listeners, I heard you guys do this and said, I want that to be my podcast instead. So (laughs) you guys, that sounded great, but I'm glad at least for you, we could be a friendly face in confessional reform circles uh, for you to, for you to come around to. So, but yeah, this sounds great. I'm excited. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to look at a couple of videos and you know, uh, my goal for the last couple of episodes has been trying to get an unhinged Noah as he has no idea what these videos are. Um, and Matt, you have no idea what these, what these videos are. So, uh, I've got a couple options going into tonight. Uh, option number one is the rise and fall of King David. Option number two is, I don't know if you would consider Francis Chan part of the young restless reform movement, but, you know, he he influenced me in such a way that I kind of got into the later end of the Young Restless Reform Movement. So uh, the second option is Francis Chan on the first thousand years of church history. So which mm. one interests you all the most? Let me just go ahead and say Francis Chan is definitely a Young Restless Reformed character, went to John MacArthur's school um, and brought a big-hearted Calvinism around to people until he kind of left that time. But I don't know. I'll let Noah pick. So if the goal is to get Noah unhinged, then we've got to, we've got to go that direction. <laughs> uh, oh gosh. Well, in the spirit of our camaraderie with the rest of this podcast, uh, let's blend for a second. We'll do some uh, Francis Chan kind of bring that post-mortem on the young restless and reform movement to bear on simpler doctrina that awesome. sounds good still listening to him in general guys do you can you tell me this is something that i probably can't answer you, you know i i can't say for sure um little known fact no and i actually went to francis chan's bible college so um that is that still seems to be a draw for the population of people that continue to go there. Um, and may I say, to be clear for everybody listening, I feel like I have to defend our honor a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> she said that the way the school was, 
versus when it what it was when we graduated kind of mirrored Francis Chan's own journey, I guess. So I don't know that I would recommend anyone go there now. Mm-mm. At the time, it was fairly solid. Uh, right. Was pretty pretty uh, instrumental for both of uh, both Elijah and I in coming to a more reformed understanding of the faith, and uh, eventually, you know, we both become Presbyterians. Uh, I do think, though, that Francis Chan is still pretty popular. Um, I don't run into him much or to people who listen to him much because I'm not, I guess, as involved in the broad evangelical world anymore as I used to be. Um, but I still think his books and his sermons and things are, are pretty popular. Dang. Yeah, because every man, woman, and child I knew read Crazy Love when it came mm-hmm. out that was 2008 or whatever yeah all right so do do y'all see the video of francis yes sir okay yep sweet so if y'all want to pop in and say something i will pause it so you can say something if you want to sit through i think it's like a minute long clip and just listen to all of it then we can do that and then um we can bring our reactions later so all right let's go For me, I go back to that first thousand years where I'm trying to study and go, my epistemology has changed. My understanding of how to acquire truth. And I came out of seminary going, I've got Logos Bible software and I go in my office and I can study all these commentaries in the Greek and the Hebrew and come up with the right answer. And now I'm in my study of scripture, I'm going, where's the Holy Spirit? And why is it? Am I closer? And the truth from God and... Sounds Hold like on. you have something to say, Noah. <laughs> well, first, first red flag. I don't know where he's going with this uh, particularly, but uh, I would dare say, from what I've heard so far, that seems like a false dichotomy to me a little bit. Um, between, like, let's go study the Bible, and we're going to utilize the gifts that God has given us and commentaries and the wisdom of other men uh, studying the original languages to learn truth from the Bible, or I have the Holy spirit. Maybe that's not what he's saying, but I don't know. It's starting off on a wrong foot in my opinion. Well, we we might learn that you can consult commentaries from the first thousand years, but not the second. So we'll see, uh, that, 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 that that is pretty much where he is going. So let's finish up the video. (laughs) And then does the church body have anything to do with understanding truth? And I'm looking at that first thousand years and going, if there was one council and they all agreed on something, and it's that same truth for those first thousand years, I'm not going to go with my opinion anymore as superior to when the church was one and what they believed for a thousand years. For me, all right so that's the full clip if we have time later i've got another clip where i think that may be a clarifying what the doctrine is that he is talking about so general thoughts what what do y'all think so what we're what we are talking about is there is a there is a right impulse francis chan discovered late in life when he was a charismatic Baptist, like pleading with everyone, just be crazy love, just do these things, just do what the Bible clearly says. At some point, he realized that 
maybe one guy expressing what the church should do on a whole was perhaps not the way to do theology. I don't blame him for coming to that conclusion. So, uh, so I know y'all like you like the yay nay nuance at uh, yeah. on the Restless Podcast. Are you a yay nay or nuance for what Francis just said? Um, I I am a nay because I never choose nuance because that's <laughs> my cohort. That's job. Michael's job. Okay, yep. what what is the basis for your nay then? So the um, in in one of my recent ordination exams, I was asked which of the ecumenical councils I thought was the most important. So there were very important councils that the church met, that they responded to difficult questions. They responded um, to aberrant claims, people trying to divide the church over their statements about Jesus. Right. Sometimes we think of heresy and we think about it in a way that it's like, I hope I never have such a bad idea someone calls me a heretic. Well, that's not really heresy, right? You can be a young Christian and need to learn and need to mature. Like, that's just how God, I don't know why God didn't give everyone perfect theology when he saved us, but he didn't. He just chose not to work that way. But a heretic is someone who not only has a bad idea, won't listen to anyone else, and then finally decides to try and divide the church over it. So the church met repeatedly in the first thousand years. This is what he's talking about. And when I was asked what the most important ecumenical council was, um, my answer was Nicaea II in 787. Now, I bet most of your listeners have never heard of that council. Why? Because that's the council where they announced icons were essential for worship. Right. And this was viewed as a worldwide ecumenical council. Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox still hold to it. And why did I say that council was so important in my ordination exam? I said, because it proves even a council like that can err. Even the church in the first thousand years, in this such this time we look back so wistfully when we it was so pure and everything was going so well, it's they still could err. And what it teaches us is that. History actually isn't like that. They made different errors than us, right? They don't think the way we do. He's right. They're, they have a different epistemology. They think about the world in a different way. They had different access to scripture. They were asking different questions, which makes it invaluable to us. But this idea that, man, there was this pristine time in the church for theology, um, and if only we just listened to them, we would have it fixed, Right. Man, the apostolic fathers are awesome. Go read them. Yeah. They also at no point probably had the entirety of the New Testament. Uh, that, that is a that is a very interesting point that I think we should bring out that, yeah. you know, the New Testament wasn't readily available to all the early church fathers. Like right. the canon as we know it, not that it was established at 325 at the first council of Nicaea, but that's where we see a more solidified canon put forward. Um, right. It was, until, it was 325 when that came forward. <laughs> so, right. and at, it, until that point, um, right, there were governing authorities trying to destroy every copy of the scripture yep. they could get their hand on, right? So this isn't their fault. It's not, they valued, so many of them valued it so much they'd rather die than give up their their community's one copy of the scriptures, right? And so what's actually impressive 
is how it is truly impressive how biblical they are mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. we're so illiterate francis chan has all of lagos and is like man it's really hard to figure this stuff out like we're we can't read when we have the whole bible and access to everything that's ever been written right that that right. does say something negative about us yeah right that there is a huge role in the church um but i do think i think this is just this is the i mean this is why obviously Tran- francis chan has made his weird statements about transubstantiation and if that's what we're going to get and if that's what he means in the first thousand years that would be a that would be a joy but but right this is this is why it's such a a, it can be a serious error, right? Yeah. Once we, just like if we take the reformers, that was the pristine, beautiful, great theology time, right? That's that's just not, that's just not the way. Like Cal- Calvin can be wrong. Like, yeah, he can. Right. That may come and he to wasn't a shock like, to some for me for to hear for others to hear me say that, but Calvin is wrong <laughs> at times. Right. And he's and he's nothing like you. He doesn't think like you. He doesn't yeah. act like you. Right. Most of your listeners would have been arrested if they exposed the things they believed in Geneva. And yeah. like, you need to actually consider that. Right. Like that, that is a thought that we should wrestle through and praise God for because the unity we have in Christ is somehow even able to cross those kinds of boundaries. Right. Hmm. Clement, the guy who wrote first Clement, believed in phoenixes. He believed that there were birds made of fire that rose from ashes jesus christ saved him and he's his lord right jesus christ saved luther who believed in goblins right jesus christ saved zwingli who luther said was the worst heretic he'd ever met right like (laughs) this is how god works and it's good um but i think there is a danger when we talk about a pristine era of church history um yeah because again we make something infallible that's not so there's yeah. my sorry, my really yeah. long answer. No, no, so, no. I agree, and no, I'm gonna no. riff off of that a little bit because I know one of Francis Chan's uh, more modern, I guess, recent kicks that he's been on is this kind of we need to go back to uh, the Church of Acts and look at Acts, and you know that's all part of the disciple making movement, and there's so many things tied up in that. But just to Matt's point, there's there's this whole movement in the evangelical church about the the book of acts and the early church like the new testament church as if like mm. that's that's the goal that's the perfect standard like we got to get back to that and it's the same kind of error because again like if you look at the early church you look at the new testament church for example go look at corinthians right go look at first corinthians or go look at galatians right you can't you have these letters written by the apostle paul because in first corinthians you have just all right. sorts of junk going on right i mean horrible sins going on in the church that paul says even those outside the church would never dream of doing these kind of things they're so evil and then you have the galatians who are professing a false gospel right they're holding to salvation by grace and the law and um and so paul writes to correct false doctrine um to instruct them in the right way and so across all of church history, it is both of those things at the same time, right? There's this, this, it's beautiful to look and see throughout redemptive history, how God is working in his people. He's bringing people to 
know the gospel and to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, he's using sinful people to accomplish his purposes, but at the same time, those people are sinful and those people have uh, less, they don't have a full understanding yet, right? They're, they're learning and they're growing. Uh, they're dealing with their own unique battles, right? In every age of church history, you have different battles that have to be fought. Um, and it's the same kind of error as if like, you know, people try to pit errors of church history against each other and say, for example, justification of by faith wasn't, uh, wasn't an important doctrine in their early church. So it's not really that important now, right? As if within, they don't, realize and remember, like Matt saying, the context of the different theologians, right? In the early church, you had much more Christological debates. You had Trinitarian debates. Um, but those were the things under attack, right? Um, Arius was arguing that the son was divine, but created, that he was not of the same substance with the father. Um, it wasn't till Luther and the reformers where you kind of have the, you have this conflict over there's this false gospel that's being um, that's permeating throughout most of the Christian world. And there's, there's few who are still holding to the true gospel. And so Luther comes in and says, no, it's not salvation by works. It's not salvation by an infusion of grace at baptism. It's by faith in Jesus. But that wasn't, that debate, that battle was not the battle that the early church fathers fought. Um, so you have to keep all of that context in mind. Um, and I think Matt is exactly right that there's a, there's a certain value in what he's saying. If you were going to nuance what Francis Chan was saying, if there was going to be a point of nuance, it would be, yeah, don't be a one guy standing on a platform by himself saying, I figured it out, right? Like I know the way we all ought to follow the Lord. I've got this figured out doctrine, finally. Um, there's, there is value in the confessions and the creeds and those councils, and we should look to those things. But they're, those are only as authoritative. Um, they're only authoritative in as much as they are in accordance with what the scriptures teach, right? Um, where they affirm what the scriptures affirm, we affirm. Where they do not affirm what is biblical, what the scriptures teach, we do not affirm. So, you know, they're a useful tool, but we have to keep them in their proper place um, under the scriptures. And we have to keep the proper context and uh, of church history in mind when we interact with those confessions and creeds as well. It's such a great answer. I think that, right, if there was ever a point in church history we should where we would say the pristine church existed, it would be when the apostles were alive and the church of Corinth was the worst church that ever existed. Right. And so, I mean, it just, it just is right. Or like, man, if there was ever a theologian who wouldn't make a mistake, it would be an apostle. Oh wait, Paul corrected Peter to his face right, right. in Galatia. Right. Like I, it's just such a great, it's um, again, yeah, it just puts the, puts the emphasis in the right place. Yeah. It, it's a very odd approach that Francis Chan is taking. Because, you know, he, he says, I went to seminary, I, I went, I got Hebrew and Greek and uh, Matt, as you pointed out, like we have a wealth of knowledge that that early church fathers would have never had. We had all, we have lexicals, we have grammar books. Um, I, I learned recently that the English Bible that we have is the most combed over text from scholars of, of all time. Like, mm. 
just the intentionality with every single translated word. It's just, it's, it's amazing how much we have. And it's concerning to me that Francis Chan is almost appealing to the fact that we can't get the truth just from scripture. Now, don't get me wrong. I love church fathers. I have read a good handful of church fathers. No, I know you've read a good handful. Matt, I know you have. Almost every single of my seminary papers, I'm quoting church fathers left and right. But there's also times in my papers where I'm challenging church fathers, saying, I think they were wrong on, on this, off of this basis of scripture. And it, it's just very concerning when you get to a point where you're saying, scripture is not enough to show us the truth. Mm-hmm. Now, church history is beneficial. I, I do think that there is something to what he is saying about church history being beneficial and should have some sort of influence in, in our interpretation of scripture. If I'm being honest, that had influence in me coming around to infant baptism. But that wasn't the end all be all. I had to search scripture to see where does scripture say this. So it's it's concerning how how he's going about this, almost exalting the church fathers and this quote unquote golden age to the only lens in which we should we should view scripture and interpret scripture. Yeah, yeah. and I would just I would just add also um I think to pit the working of the Holy Spirit, mm. like from the first thousand years versus the second two thousand years, or, you know, it's Holy Spirit leading you to understand your Bible, or it's you putting in hard work to read the text, to exegete the text, to consult commentaries and confessions and creeds, to like pit those against each other ever is a big mistake, right? Um, yeah. It's, it's, we understand that the Spirit does illuminate the truth of the scriptures to us. And yet we are sinful people and we are progressing in sanctification. We are progressing in our understanding of the things of God. Um, and yet we will not have perfect understanding uh, in this life before we are resurrected and receive a resurrected body with Christ and are brought up um, into, into glory. We are in the new heavens, new earth. Like there'll always, there'll always be flaws, right? And there are always flaws in church history and people's theology, but that doesn't mean that the spirit was not at work uh, illuminating the truth to his people, right? Um, and to, con- to, to want the spirit to illuminate the truths of the scriptures to you, to pray for that and seek that should never be put at odds with the hard work of studying the scriptures, right? Those things, they don't, they're not uh, opposed to one another. It's the spirit working through the word. Um, that's the way it always has been. And that's the way it always has will be. Um, so I think that to, to your point, Elijah, it's just another really concerning train of thought. And I think very problematic for, because there's so many people who will be misled in their understanding or how they think about church history or how they think about studying the Bible by statements like that, um, that are really half-baked truths. It's really weird. Why would the Holy Spirit, like, well, I had Logos and, and, and Hebrew and Greek. Well, but where was the Holy Spirit in my preparation? Where is the Holy Spirit in your preparation if you read a bunch of the church fathers? I don't, I don't. Yeah. It's just this, we're just, why are you creating this line? Where are you getting this new standard? Where, what is, again, I, I, I think 
right? It's this idea of maybe all of it, right? Maybe all all of these things are part of it, right? And and certainly, I will tell you this much: the church fathers do not have this idea of the Holy Spirit when they are describing His working, right? Like this, mm-hmm. you, the this this idea is unique, right? This and and so yeah, I do agree that the the value, the opinion of church history is more valuable than Francis Chan's singular opinion or my opinion, of course, right? Like that just is lot. That's just that just makes sense. And so, um, yeah. And so I don't know. There you go. Well, since we're on the topic of church history, I think it would be worth us seeing what I believe this Pat, this, what he is talking about here is actually connected to. Um, and, you know, for a while there, Francis Chan was known as the house church guy re- returning to acts. Let's have house churches. He, he he wants to be rebranded now. So let's let's see what his rebrand is. Once oh I gosh. started reading and studying communion, I go, okay, that I don't mind. If you if, I'll be if, the if guy. I will be communion yeah. guy. Yeah. If I am the one that helps put the body and blood back at the center of the church and I Come die on. doing that, and they go, Francis was that communion guy, I'll take that. Amen. Yeah. But don't call me house church guy. Amen. You know, this is oh. sacred. Putting Christ, the body and blood and fellowship with him at the center, getting people to be reverent of going, this could kill me. And yet I am not going to shy away from that table because this is my opportunity mm. to fellowship like that woman. I'm going to touch him. I'm going to coin a neo with him. If that's what my life's work is about, oh, Lord, thank you. I'd be honored to be a voice in this conversation. Once I start. All right. Can I, let me just say one thing. What iteration of Francis Chance life work is he on at this point? Because he was, we're just going to do crazy things for love guy, house church guy. I'm leaving my cool big church guy. Now we're at, I'm going to be the overseas guy. Yeah. We're going to be so I maybe this is a bad idea and we can get to that. But just so everyone knows before you're like, man, he's fine. This is the thing. There probably is another thing coming. Everybody just 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 be real. If the pattern holds, right. <laughs> he will be rebranding in about three years. Yep. This this probably isn't the thing he's going to die saying. Um <laughs> Do you think he'll be Trad Catholic or Orthobro next? Oh man, I don't know. That would be that would that would be uh man, the Orthobros would would celebrate in a way that you you have not seen a more undignified <laughs> you, you could never that. get back on Twitter or, or you could never get back never. onto like the, the Twitter theology or Instagram theology, never. just never. they would never let us live that down. Never. So I'll let you guys start with with this thing that I I think you're probably right. <clears throat> Obviously, this same background. This looks like the same, right? This looks like the same. It, uh, it's the same. It's the same podcast. I, I know that's for sure. I don't know if it's the same episode. So I want to put all those disclaimers out there. But knowing Francis Chan, what he said in the past, and like I know I, I watched a sermon of his where he was talking about communion and saying. 
Like they really believed there was a literal body and blood of Christ. And I think we need to return to that. I I am pr like 99% certain that this is what this, what that last clip was about is about mm. communion. Uh, Noah, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, it did sound like that to me too, because he, he mentions like he uses that example of a woman, you know, who, who I'm going to touch him, you know, like re referencing Christ. Uh, I don't know. Again, like, <clears throat> yeah, I could, I can see how this is definitely a connection with his early church father kick. Um, you know, uh, they did put a strong emphasis on the Lord's Supper and they made some strong statements about the Lord's Supper. Um, some of which I don't know that I would agree with entirely. Um, <clears throat> So it's again, like it's if I'm gonna I'll I'll be the nuanced guy. Uh I think putting emphasis back on the sacraments is a it's a good thing, right? That's a great thing. Uh one of my favorite things about reformed theology is I think that the emphasis put on baptism and the Lord's Supper matches the significance that I see in the scriptures, right? Um, however, the problem is, well, there's a couple problems, but one of the problems is the way he's viewing the Lord's Supper, right? As if this is, and going off of what you said, Elijah, that this is the, the very blood and body of Christ. Um, again, I mean, we're back at, that's, that's Roman Catholicism, right? That's chance of substantiation um which we would reject wholeheartedly um and two i don't know i just i guess i'm like if i'm thinking from a perspective of a pastor or an elder administering the church this along the branding lines i mean i don't think that my like i don't get the infatuation with branding and like this is what like this is what my legacy is going to be is like standing for this thing or this thing uh especially considering <laughs> that that has changed so many times over the course of his ministry right like it's just it's something else every few years it's like no i want to be known for this thing and i mean i would just say like if, if I was going to be a pastor, right, that's what I aspire to be a pastor. All I can think when I look towards pastoral ministry is like, and what I can pray is, Lord, please just help me to be faithful. Like, help mm -hmm. me to be faithful. Help me to not crash and burn. Help me not to scandalize your church. Um, help me not to hurt people. Help me to, you know, serve faithfully and wisely. Um, and that already scares me right now. And also, like, help me to be faithful to teach and preach the whole counsel of God, right? Help me to teach all those truths and stand for all those truths. And if if there was a thing I wanted to be known for, it would be that I was serving, I tried to serve the Lord with all my might and as faithfully as I possibly could. Um, I'd want to be more like John Bunyan, right? I'd want you to say, if you cut him, he would bleed bibline, right? Like, I want, I'd want that to be my legacy, Um because when you get into like this infatuation with certain doctrines, and again, like we kind of pit them over and against each other, um, what's, you start to get this very disjointed, wacky, out of balance theology, because 
we're like putting a particular emphasis on only one part of the Bible. Um, and then we're losing other important parts um, because we're not paying attention to the whole scriptures. And so things get wacky, things get out of joint. People are not hearing the truth they need to hear. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if I would, I don't know if that was really a nuance. Um, the only thing I really nuanced is like, yay to the sacraments. If we have a correct view of the sacraments, but yeah. <laughs> the rest of it, so I'm a hard nay. Pen pendulum swings. That's what we see all throughout history. And uh, with Francis Chan, we've seen the pendulum swing multiple times within his multiple rebrandings. Um, I think it's good that the sacraments are being raised to a higher level. I think in the broad evangelical church, the sacraments have had very little weight given to them. Um, I mean, baptism, I always heard it said that it's my own personal decision. It's my public proclamation that I've made a decision to follow God. And that's not at all how scripture speaks of baptism. Um, you know, it's, there's a reverence of this is God's choosing me and engrafting me into Christ. Um, and, and it's a sign and seal of that, of, of that reality. Um, and then, you know, the Lord's Supper, um, very memorialistic Zwingliism of just, uh, I, I don't even know if I feel right attaching Zwingli to like how I grew up hearing the Lord's Supper uh, of it's just, it's nothing more than just looking back at the crucified Christ, remembering what Christ has done, which that is a, a aspect of the Lord's Supper. I don't want to degrade that, but it's, I'm going to sound like Francis Chan. It is that fellowship with Christ, but it's not in the same sense that he is talking about. Yeah. The, the reformed tradition believes that we do spiritually feast on Christ, but keyword spiritually. Now this is going to get into some in-depth doctrine. I might hand it off to Matt for that if, if you're up to it, but why is that a key distinction of spiritually instead of physically? Yeah, let me let me I will answer that because that is my large part of my plan. Let me give let me make two statements about like I obviously made a joke about how the, the Francis Chan rebrand and and um and I think it's it actually can be instructive to us. Um Francis Chan's rebrands are seem to come when he learn something new and in many cases something like biblical some good he's trying mm -hmm. to reclaim some good thing yeah whether it be, god doesn't just want me to be comfortable in southern california with a bunch of rich people god wants us to do missions god wants there's there seems to be something more to church than just listening to a guy and he concludes house churches or whatever um mm. the sacraments wow everyone in church history has talked about these in a more elevated manner than we ever have right right but of course the problem is is like and it and this is the difficult thing for us and this is actually the difficult thing for calvinists i assume probably a lot of your listeners are this is we learn those doctrines and it's incredibly impactful when we do yeah. but then it is very easy to immaturely respond and be mm. like man i just learned these things and therefore i need to everything needs to be about that and I need to fix everything by telling people these things. Right. <laughs> and that's, and that's not the way, that's not the way we do doctrine. Well, right. The order you learn doctrine does not determine the doctrine's importance. Mm -hmm. right? um, it's just, 
But of course, the thing I learned most recently is the thing I'm most excited about. That makes sense, right? That just right. like you inherently get that. Um, and obviously, the worst part is if you learn something in a slightly wrong way, then it gets you know, then you have even even more more problems. Also, I would just say that like if you listen to what Francis Chan just said and you thought like, wow, why isn't anyone saying this? I may I encourage you to attend a Lutheran church where they literally will emphasize these exact things every single week and in many of them refuse to bring you to communion if you deny them right this isn't no one lost this this isn't unknown i mean i understand we all have a kind of evangelical background we'd never heard anyone talk like this but down the street at every lutheran church every lutheran pastor would say if you do not believe christ is physically present in the uh, bread and wine you cannot come to the table right there this is not new this this isn't a thing we we didn't like the lutherans are going to be offended if they ever hear this clip which they won't because they only do their own little lutheran thing and their <laughs> lutheran corner, right so that we're, we're that, not part of 1517 so they, right. they won't come across this they'll never come across it but but as far as this idea again this is why doing church history is is actually really hard and really important Right. This claim that everyone in the first thousand years are like, and this is a thing, even if Francis Chan, even if this was not related to that, this is a thing the Orthodox and Roman Catholics do emphatically say. They say that Christ was always confessed to be physically and bodily present in the Lord's Supper. Right. Um, and the the early church had a very high view. They did believe they truly were fellowshipping with Christ. They truly believed that they were with the risen Savior in his body. His body and blood were there for their spiritual nourishment and growth and grace. They totally, I mean, like they believe they speak in ways that are very high. However, the idea that they believed in transubstantiation does not historically work because what we start doing with these doctrines is we start um reading historically like a, a later historical conclusion into their language. Wasn't the dogma of transubstantiation around the thousand year mark? Correct. It, oh, it's after the thousand year mark. Yeah. So yeah. so that that is bothersome because that's one of the main things that Francis Chan is pushing forward is transubstantiation. But it's after his thousand year golden era that he's reading that into it. And probably before that, there was an understanding of um, of a bodily presence, right? Lutherans have an understanding of a bodily presence, though they deny the, um, though they deny the doctrine of transubstantiation and a lot of the issues that go along mm-hmm. with it. But, but this idea of, in, and I, it was great that Elijah said, you know, I don't even know if we should say that like Zwingli really was, was where what we heard was. But he often gets, he often is, uh, he is the first swiss church reformer he often gets held in this memorialist view that that the only thing happening is you taking an action of remembering that view is actually pretty new right when we think about what is kind of an innovative idea this idea that it's primarily what i do in my mind that is actually very new the presence of christ is and the action of god being primary in the sacraments i hope if i want 
if I can go down in history as one thing on the Semper Doctrina podcast, it's this. It's the idea that God is the actor in the sacraments, right? <laughs> Nothing else. Just like Francis Chan. And if I ever come back on the show, I'm sure I'll have a new thing that I'll want to come back on. I'll go in history as. But it's this. God is the one active. And even Zwingli said God is present in the sacraments. Mm-hmm. Now, he said primarily in our faith. Now, that is different, right? He did make it. He did emphasize the individual in a way that the the, the church hadn't because he was correcting certain errors. But when we say Christ, as Elijah said, is spiritually present, oftentimes people will say, well, you don't think Jesus is truly present. And what they're there, Francis Chan and others, Francis Chan is coming to this conclusion, Jesus is truly present. You, It is hard to get around what 1 Corinthians says. You participate in the very body and blood of Christ. You proclaim his death till he comes. This is why some of you are sick and dying. The language is intense. Jesus is there, right? This is his meal. This is the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. But of course, the problem is when we say, well, the koinonia, this is where we have physical fellowship with him. There's a few problems with it. One are Jesus's exact words when he instituted the Lord's supper in Luke, uh, I believe Luke 22. I'm going to read it. I have eagerly desired to eat the Passover with you before my suffering. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This is what's also ironic about this whole situation. Francis Chan, where's the Holy Spirit in all of this? God has promised to be present with us by his spirit now. Hmm. And his physical, Christ's physical presence is something we are without. Mm Mm-hmm. But because of how the spirit is able to be present with you and me, Jesus says it was better that he went away and he actually did go away. Hmm. And that is why we want him to come back. That's what we want. He has to come back. We want to eat the meal with him. We want that kind of koinonia, that kind of fellowship with him. Which reminds me of another of the functions of the Lord's Supper of looking forward to Christ's return. We are in an era right now of living by faith. Eventually we will live by sight. But if the bread and wine become the literal body and blood of Christ or if Christ is infused in it, then there is a sense in which we're saying we're living by sight, not by faith. This is why Catholics like genuflect or bow to the bread and the wine. They they believe they are literally seeing Christ. And when you see Jesus, you will bow down. You don't have a choice, right? John taught us that at the beginning of Revelation. You bow mm-hmm. down when you see Jesus, right? The guards, when they came to arrest him and he said, I am, they bowed down because you don't get a choice in Jesus's presence. And so that's why they do. But right, this is this is the this is the this is the problem. This is not the way the Bible teaches, right? As we do look back to what Jesus did, we do look to how he is feeding us now, how he is with us now. He is truly with us spiritually and how he will be with us when we are at the marriage feast of the lamb. Right. And, and ultimately the Lutherans and the reformed divided over this point. Yep. You will see in the confessions. If you ever look at the Lutheran and reformed confessions, for example, you could look at the Heidelberg, the Heidelberg catechism says we receive Christ by the mouth of faith. Isn't that interesting? They Mm. chose the word, the mouth of faith. Whereas Lutherans insisted you say you receive him by your physical mouth. That was what divided the Protestant 
the Protestant world. And I guess Francis Chan is going to become Lutheran. And, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm fine with that. I mean, it is what it is. Right. But, um, this is, this is the difference, right? This isn't. And so sometimes I just don't want, the only thing I don't want any of your listeners to think is that, man, if I want real presence, I need to go become an ortho bro, a trad Catholic, um, uh, a, a based Lutheran, any of these things like they they have said they have defined real presence in a certain way but it is something that the reformers labored to confess as well and labored to say yeah and that's kind of what we see in the church fathers right we believe our understanding of real presence actually would have been pretty in line with theirs yep and the problem with transubstantiation is that it's so new you just decided to use Aristotle to define how Jesus can be present with us. You just defined this as a representation of his sacrifice on the cross mm -hmm. continually, right? Roman Catholic priests will say Jesus dies to save you. Why? Because they are, they are redoing the sacrifice in the mass, right? Mm -hmm. And that is why the mass... And that form of physical presence is so concerning in a way that even the Lutheran view, which we, yep. which I disagree with, is not because they are not saying this is for a sacrifice. This is a propitiatory right. sacrifice. Everyone, we all should be like, run. We should be terrified. We should flee because Jesus said it was finished because there was once and for all. Right. So there's a. There's a longer explanation of why we would want to say it spiritually. That is that was a wonderful explanation for our listeners. Um, I'm not sure who will all actually do this, but if you want to do a further study on what we were talking about with the spiritual presence, just look up extra Calvinisticum. Um, mm. That is that is the doctrine we are talking about of why spiritual presence is so important. In mm. short. It's that the finite is not capable of, of becoming the infinite. Um, so what we're talking about is Christ's human nature. There's a finite aspect to, well, there's a finiteness to the human nature of Christ. Christ is both God, that's one of his natures, and Christ is both man. So we cannot confuse those, we cannot separate those. And the implication for that, if Christ bodily dwells in in the bread, that means the finite has then become infinite, and it's now the, his body's now omnipresent. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. problematic because when we see who Christ is in his glorified human state, we are looking at what we will become. So if we're saying that he's now omnipresent in, in his human nature, then the implication is then I'm going to become omnipresent in my human nature. And that's problematic. That's saying that the deistic aspect of Christ will then be communicated to me. And that's, that's just simply problematic. Right. If, if Christ as important as confessing the real presence of Christ in the supper, just as important is confessing the real true humanity of Christ and human bodies aren't, omnipresent this yeah. is what they tried to convince luther of when they met him and he was he was not 
he did not listen to them for even one second about this. He did not give them a chance. So, but this is this is the issue, right? This is when we get to the this idea of it. And the other awkward issue that the reformers started pointing out, um, and I'll just leave this is if you insist we have to receive Christ's blood and flesh by your physical mouth, there seem to be implications about what you're eating that do not seem uh, quite very reverent about Christ's body and blood. Um, that is, uh, they started pointing that out later after the, the discussions got more heated, but. <laughs> right. Noah, do you have anything else to add? Uh, we are going to drop uh, Matt's personal phone number. Uh, so <laughs> if you have any questions, <laughs> bombard him with texts and calls. He has or, or any complaints. so much time. Yeah. So much time to answer all your questions. I actually so, think the the restless podcast I think is going to be doing a feedback show um, in a few in a week or two because we were going to joyfully hit two hundred fifty thousand downloads. Um, and so, if you just want to flood our podcast, our Twitter, <laughs> whatever, with questions about the sacraments, that would be a lot more fun than the kind of questions I'm going to get from my own podcast, which will be about my tone. So please just come and ask <laughs> us about. Um, uh, about the sacrament that'd be really really enjoyable and all right it'll, and it'll blindside my host so <laughs> one one last time uh matt is the host of the restless podcast him and pastor michael um go check it out you can look it up just restless and postmortem on the young restless reformed it is quite fantastic it is definitely worth your worth your time i promise start with the mark driscoll clips They'll get you hooked in, and then you'll find all the good stuff on their Patreon. So if you if you want to get a response, a better response to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, that that's one of their key themes that they reviewed, and they went through every single episode um, as painful. It's actually as- what got me hooked on it, because I listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, and there were things that struck me as, uh, I was like, well... I don't really agree with Christianity Today's interpretation of these events. And so then Elijah has suggested this podcast and started listening to it. And uh, it was quite helpful to listen to them and be like, oh, okay, I'm not I'm not crazy. Uh, Mark Driscoll is not just an example that all of Reformed theology is horrible and wrong. So it's pretty good. Thanks, Matt, for coming on. Thanks, guys, for the recommendation. It was a good time. All right. We'll catch you guys next time. <laughs>